Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comic Files. I'm Leon Evra, and I am not joined by my co-host, Greg Driver and Rahul Jani. Oh, no. Welcome to Ace Comicals, episode number 69. Now, being the mature adult that I am, I will resist the urge to make a joke and simply leave it with a nice. Moving along, no, your ears did not deceive you. Greg and Rahul are not here. They've only swanned off on separate holidays to different parts of the continent. Greg taunting us with pics of eastern pints of beer before midday. Rahul sending us photos from atop Italian mountains. Meanwhile, I'm stuck here, manning the Ace Comicals watchtower all alone. Now, we could have taken a week off, but we couldn't do you guys like that. No way. So I threw up the AC signal and some heroes answered the call. Introducing a truly dark soul. A man who not only deals with the seedy underbelly, but also the undertale. He may hail from the north, but he watches the east. If Greg is our rabbit Ronin who rocks steady, then this guy is a cowboy who bebops. And he also has a stick of dynamite in his brain. Welcome in for the first time. Anthony Askew, welcome to the podcast. Hello, I want that on my gravestone. <laughs> I was the best intro I've ever had. I don't know if you'll fit it. I don't think I will. <laughs> wow, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, well, um, let's talk about comics, I suppose. My comic background is kind of, I'm the guy who Googles top 10 graphic novels and then reads those 10. So I'm, I guess I'm a little bit of a, I don't want to say a noob because I, there's times I've ran like ru- uh, read runs of stuff that I, when I was obsessed with Iron Man, I read some Extremis series. It was all right. But uh, most of my history comes from like uh, Batman, graphic novels. I've, re- I've read Watchmen. Uh, just th- What got you started? Uh, oh, that is a good question. Hmm. I don't know, but I think with graphic, the reason I lent towards graphic novels was because, you know, you go into a shop, you see all this, these issues of stuff, and, you know, you you pick one up, you think, eh, yeah, there's a little bit in there, but you want something something a bit more solid and something mm. that you can complete. You go home and you finish it off and it's done. So that's why I lent towards graphic novels. And I guess, mm, I guess growing up, it's probably just been through, like, osmosis of popular culture, I suppose. Because I was never, like, a super comic book nerd when I was a kid, but I was always like, you know, you know who Batman is, you know who Spider-Man is. So I guess I was pulled in in that regard. So is it like things like movies and the cartoons? Yeah, and probably more so the cartoons at the time, so like X-Men and all that kind of stuff. Like, I loved Wolverine. Yet I've read very few X-Men comics. Some of the good <laughs> ones, like I've read uh, House of M. I guess that counts as, as a X-Men comic, which is pretty good. Uh, very much so. Yeah, um, but yeah, mainly for me it's graphic novels. I guess beyond that, I read a lot of manga, which today I'm going to discuss a manga, um, which I find, I want to say, easier to read, which is probably not the case at all, but I'm, I'm a digital boy, you see. Mm. And for a long time, manga was super easy to read online through nefarious means, so... I never felt too bad at the time doing it. So I used to read like just through a full series just on a computer, not even on an iPad or anything at the time. And then I was like, you know what? I've got a job. I'm going to subscribe to 
all the stuff that I, I buy and like to read. So then I, comicsology was a thing, and now I buy so many comics that just sits in that digital library that I may well lose the rights to access one day. <laughs> I feel that. scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> it is scary. Yeah, but I'm a, I'm a hardcore digital boy. Like, I, I love having a digital. I, I will, if I see a comicsology sale, I'll just dive in and, like, spend, like, 30, 40 quid on a full series of something that's probably going to sit there for a while. <laughs> I mean, at least at the end of the day, uh, when they lower you six feet deep, you'll have a nice uh, library of licenses. Yeah. That you can hand down to your kids. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to know my password for anything. Yeah. You've got to put it in the will. Is that a thing? I wonder if it's that's going to be a thing. It, it's scary. I, it <laughs> I don't want to put my password anywhere. Oh, I don't want... Yeah, that library belongs to me and uh, Amazon. <laughs> oh, Jeff Bezos, nice. Yeah. I trust him. But I guess that's my, my comics background uh, covered, I guess. Yeah, welcome. Hmm? It's good. And returning, we have a real Marvel, an anti-hero who outlawed Pennywise, a resident so evil he made the devil cry. He has the snare of a Saiyan prince, though as far as he's concerned, there's only one king. Marvin Lafayette, welcome back. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. And just like Askew said, I think I want that printed on a T-shirt. That's incredible. <laughs> I definitely didn't spend too much time on that. <laughs> so you get yours on a T-shirt and I'm morbid and want it on a gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> well, yours will last way longer than mine. True, true. Depends <laughs> hey, where you getting those T's printed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what have you been up to recently, Marv? Um, same old, same old, really. I would say, uh, you know, uh, going to work, coming home, but I'm uh, currently at the beginning of two weeks off leading into my birthday, my 35th, so looking forward to that. Um, just trying to sort out gifts for my uh, my two younger brothers whose birthdays are circulating around mine. So, yeah, just chilling out, really. It's been quite quite cool. Um, still playing Devil May Cry. I don't know if I was the last time that I uh, came on the podcast, but... <laughs> slogging through getting those S ranks. But uh, yeah, just uh, chilling out and consuming media. <laughs> as is, as is. I mean, it's, you, I think the last time you are on was the Christmas episode, so it's, it's been a while. Now, uh, there you go. Probably just about to crack into Resident Evil 2 at that point. Yeah. <laughs> what a year it's been. <laughs> it's been a great year for games. But yes, since the parentals away, uh, I am older than the both of them. Thought it'd be nice to mix things up a little. So instead of digging in to like fresh comics, you know, like the number ones, new comic book day exclusives, we're going to take a look back instead. Back to some interesting titles from the recent and not so recent past. A sort of book report, if you will. And to start us off, Askew is going to talk to us about a manga. Hmm. Is this the first time of my... I know you've mentioned uh, Junji Ito's work, but there's never been a direct... Cha- oh, no, no, Ray- Rahul did one. Rahul has, yeah. The dungeon chef thing. I can't remember what it's called now, but it's something to do with, like, chefs in the dungeon. So, yeah, I guess there's that, I think. I think there might be more <laughs> than that, I don't know. But, no, mine... Am I ready to just dive in? Go straight in, straight in. Straight in, straight in. So, I have chose... I actually spent a lot of time trying to think of what to pick because it's a tough one because you get these nice little short mangas at like 10 at like 10 volumes which i think is quite short in the grand scheme and you get these obviously long running shonen jump ones which i've decided to choose a long running shonen jump one which 
I've decided to choose The Promised Neverland from 2016, uh, written by Kayu Shirai, who is, at the moment, is currently age unknown, gender unknown. There's not a whole lot online about them as a person, but obviously that's uh, provocative. But oh, yeah, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are just such a great writer, which I'm... I'll get into more detail as we as we go, but they've not really done much else. I think they've done like one short, one 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 shot sort of thing, and they've worked. And uh, the the artist with this is somebody called uh, Pasuka Demizu, which I believe they're both pen names for the for the individual in question. But I would recommend even before I even start talking about the artist, <clears throat> go online and just have a look at how good their art is. It is fantastic fantastic they've got like an art book out for sale which i didn't realize was a thing so i'm, I'm definitely gonna pick that up but anyway yeah so they had this they kind of joined together for this project after working together on this a short which the name escapes me I, you know i'm not here to talk about all their work but there's something that's not really been mentioned on this podcast before which is the format i've, I've touched deep uh, briefly on the the digital aspect but this is in, for, for the UK and the US, it's on uh, an app called the Shonen Jump app, which is presented by Viz. Um, and I, I, ca- I cannot recommend that as a, a reading format enough. It's either $1.99 or pound ninety nine if you're in the UK. And if you were to buy that for a month, you would have access to everything in their vault. Everything. Oh, really? Absolutely everything. So you could read all of One Piece from start to finish. Wow. All of One Punch Man, start to finish. <laughs> All of it's it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Sounds um, like it. Yeah, and I, honestly, if if you were a really quick reader, you could probably go for a month and just binge everything, which would be ne- nearly impossible to be honest. But oh, sorry, I was just going to say, how does it uh, work um, like operationally? So is it like Comicsology where you can have like a guided view, or do they keep it traditional and it's just page by page and you flip through? It's page by page where you okay. click through. It used to be slightly different in that because the way Weekly Shonen Jump works is it's an issue that maybe contains like six or seven series that are running at that point in time. Whereas that was what they did for years and years and years when the app came out. But then they were like, actually, no, we're just going to open up the entire vault. So now when a new chapter comes out, it's just available on the front page. And it, it's it's really good app. It's very easy to navigate through. And yeah, I'm not sponsored, but I would highly recommend just giving it a go, even for a month, just see how you feel. And there's something else that's probably very different to how Western comics kind of release their like issues and stuff. Because obviously, I've listened to Ace Comics many times, and the first issue of a comic, I don't know. It I always feel like. It always has to end with a, a a bigger hook than what some of the mangas do, because yeah, some when sort of cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this Promised Neverland is not a exception to that rule because it, the first chapter does end with a cliffhanger. But on a whole, a new series might only get like three issues, and then what the app would do or what Viz do is they then have a vote. So they'll have a point in time in the year where it's like, right, ten new series, you're going to get three chapters of each over the course of the next couple of weeks and you get to pick which one you want to keep. And then that stays in the in the vault and, you know, they get like a deal or whatever. I don't know the money, the financial side, but it's slightly different with the three-chapter thing to kind of pull someone in rather than just a one issue because 
it almost feels like less of an investment with the weekly shonen jump because you get so much in an issue if you were to buy it in japan for example like if you don't like something it's no biggie because you just buy it again the next week and you're reading the stuff that you like yeah so I it's, can see it's, that. it's almost like it's, it's quite different but it's it's interesting in that it probably gives people a ch- oh, like manga writers manga artists a chance to kind of give something a shot they might not get picked up but they get you know something out of it small but i'll not go into it too much it almost seems uh not entirely the same but similar to how netflix opened the door for a lot more um yeah interesting projects to be made yeah exactly i mean don't get me wrong that there's some that i've read and that they're not very good because i don't i, I get we when i was even getting it on an issue basis which had eight things in i was only maybe reading two or three things because not everything that comes in that thing appeal like imagine uh, Marvel did a, a weekly or like a monthly thing that had all the issues in for that month of everything that they released. How many would that be, roughly, do you reckon? The like, true number looking on ooh, was this side uh, at the moment <laughs> is a fuck ton load. Oh, right. Oh, opening up with a swear. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, I guess it wouldn't work as well in a like a Western release. But I'm sure the smaller... Uh, like publishers, maybe I don't know. I don't know. There, there, there is. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't have the experience that uh, Leon Rahul or uh, God forbid, Greg, the king of comics, does. But, um, rest your soul. Back, <laughs> back when um, I was reading Spider-Man semi-regularly and mm. buying single issues and stuff, I'd buy an issue of um, I think it was Amazing Spider-Man, and uh, at the back of that, you'd have like a shorter story about like the tarantula or some of the other like lesser known people mm. from like the Spider-Verse and they'd have like a story or two from them that was like way, way shorter. But, you know, you'd buy that Spider-Man run for like, you know, I don't know, three or four months and you'd get a mini story about a character that you'd never would have really uh, jumped onto had it not been attached to a main Spider-Man book. So there's stuff like that, I guess. Yeah, I like that. That's good. I, usually with those kind of things, if I don't like it at the beginning, I'll not read it. <laughs> and like, it's not even a case of, I know it's free, it comes with it, but I'm just, you know, time is precious. And that's <laughs> well, why this I'm going to... Back... Go on. No, I'm saying this was back in the uh, in the 90s when time had no oh, meaning, you know. Oh, right, <laughs> you probably read that three times over. Exactly, and, and then, then uh, fin- fin- finish Sonic 3 seven times in a row before dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sorry, I, I blabbed on about the, the Sean and Jump thing. Yeah, now you've done chilling. What is this book actually about? (laughs) Well, it took us a long time to kind of condense something that I don't want to spoil too much about. Because I I would like people to hear what I've got to say about it or even just look at uh, Demizu's artwork and be like, oh, that's pretty good. That's, That's pretty good. So it is the year 2045, which sounds like it's super sci fi, but it's, it's really not. Um, it's set in uh, an orphanage called Gracefield House, and the, the main character is a, a, a girl of 11 called Emma, and they all, all these kids in the orphanage, they're different age ranges from around 6 to 11. 11 is, there's a reason for that, and there's, there's 38 children, and they're all looked after by this one lady called Isabella, and she's, they all call her mum, mom, mom, wherever you, you know, however you say your mother name but i'm just going to refer to, uh, to, to her as mother because i'm from the north and i'll say ma'am and these two will laugh 
Because <laughs> it's a different, you know. Because what do you do? You mum or ma- mom? Mum. It would be M U M. M U M. Mum. Are you a mum, Leon? Yes, I I am a mum. <laughs> <I knew it. laughs> we all have our broods to look after. Yes. <laughs> and what's it? It kind of opens up in this way, which is like. It's idealistic. It's like they're all so happy and, and, you know, all these kids, which I'm going to hark back to the artwork here. There's always kids in the background and they all look like they're having the best time. Like You, you can zoom in on different panels, Be- Beauty of Digital once again, and they've all got, like, every face. Like You kind of learn what the characters are like, even if they're not speaking, even if they're doing something in the background. You can kind of tell just from the facial expressions and like the way they're kind of acting and move, moving around, all that kind of stuff. But all these kids have a tattoo on their neck um, of, of five digits. And it's like, mm, what's all this about? And this, this is only within the first couple of pages. And every day within this orphanage, there's a test, daily test. So even kids of six, right up to the... The eleven-year-olds do this test, and um, <clears throat> these the main three kids, Emma, Norman, and Ray, they always get perfect scores. Always get perfect scores. And once the tests are done, they're allowed to basically play outside and do whatever the the kids want to do. Uh, Emma, she's like this. I, I guess she's cause the three of them are all kind of um, different in their own right, in that Emma's very emotionally driven. Ray is, he's kind of like this, I want to say moody, he's the moody one of the three, not in like the typical anime tropey kind of moody, but he's very reserved and kind of quiet, when all the kids are playing, he's sat reading the book, like learning about something, and then there's Norman who is, I guess he's like a mix of the two, but they all play off each other in, in, in different ways, um, <clears throat> so anyway, once the tests are done, they're allowed to play, but the the rule is, in this orphanage, which is surrounded by a huge fence, sorry, a fence um, and trees and all that kind of stuff, they're not allowed to go beyond the fence and they're not allowed to go to the gate for for reasons that we'll get to. Um, and it's very, it's like, oh, why, why, why? And you kind of think, oh, what could this be? You know, you know, you know something's not right, even very, very early on. And um, <clears throat> what happens is the idea is when a family wants one of the children that child then gets changed into like a different set of clothes because they're all forced to wear white within this um, this orphanage because, you know, it's, it's very routine and, and clinical. And uh, one of the girls who you get introduced to very early on, she's called Connie, and I swear, to, I swear you, you only have a few lines of dialogue with her, but something about it, you just feel so emotionally attached to this character, which is never good. You know this is a problem. Anyway, she carries around this teddy this like little bunny teddy and anyway the family cut uh, sorry isabel the mother takes it at the gate and um emma spots that she leaves her bear behind and as this rabbit and she's like oh we've we've got to go and uh, give it back and her and norman go to the gate and there's nobody there and there's just this truck and they're looking around and there's nobody there and they look in the back of the truck and oh my god connie's dead and she's in like a pool of blood and she's only i think she's six years old and it's like a shock because she's just a kid and it's a shock because you just don't expect it and she's got this rose kind of stabbed in her heart and like the kids that they kind of believe emma and norman and they hide 
because they hear voices. And these two, I want to call them demons because that's what they're referred to early on. But mm. these two, like, um, human-shaped monsters with, like, a, a horned face. They've got, like, a... They've got two eyes, but they're, they're like, vertically aligned rather than, uh, you know, like, horizontally like a human face. And they've got, like, these huge, long... Sca- they're scary. And uh, the artwork really lends itself to, like, the p- uh, perception they're under this truck and, like, these, like, uh, huge towering monsters, like, the the per- perception of where they're drawn, they're, they look like they're, like, towering above this truck. And they're scary. They're scary. Anyway, they're talking amongst themselves and they, they pick out the child out the back and they're saying, oh, I'd love to just eat the fingertips. Oh, let me just eat the fingertips. And they're referring to these, uh, the children, as fo- like meat, high quality meat. And anyway, the, the monster puts this like child in this big glass tube and like seals it shut. And it's an awful, like it's very cool imagery, but it's, I was still, like I read this for the second time like leading up to this and it still hit me a little hard honestly I'm, I'm not joking anyway and who's there talking to these two it's the mother it's isabel so she is part of this um essentially this farming of children for the monsters and emma and norman i'll speed up what i'm gonna say because i say i didn't want to give too much away <laughs> they then plan to escape from the orphanage and that's how the story begins. This is all within the first few chapters, and it's the the way the sh- the, the the manga does twists and like reveals is is so good. Obviously, they they tend to land it at the end of a chapter, so it's like, oh fuck, I've got to go and read the next one, and that's exactly <laughs> what I do. Like when I'm reading it, it's you belt through it, and it's got a weird pace at times because especially in this first arc. <clears throat> because I, I should probably mention that the children, Emma Ray and Norman, they're geniuses. They're, they're very, very clever. And a lot of this story early on is them trying to outwit the mother with different things. So they have, um, they, they learn that she has a tracker uh, to kind of track the children for where they are. And they don't learn through their own kind of looking into it. It's actually the mother reveals it because she knows somebody knows about the monsters, and so she's baiting them into the, baiting whoever it is that's found out to kind of slip up or make a mistake. And then this this mother character, who at the beginning she's lovely, like she is lovely. Whenever she's then drawn from then on out, it's so scary because she's like <laughs> leering over Emma and trying to kind of make her feel nervous. And she's even saying like, or oh, uh, like, because you then have her kind of in a monologue, which is, oh, her heart beats fast, but. I think it's just because she's missing Connie and all this, uh, all this stuff, and it's it's so tense, it's so tense. And as I say, the way the twists are revealed, because early on, spoilers, she reveals that she was a child herself at one point, in one of these farms. So I guess I should re- reveal the world a little bit more. So outside of this fence, there's a huge wall that they're trying to climb and get out. And this is like the first arc, and it's revealed later on that. Within, outside of these walls, there's then other camps. So there's like an octagon of camps. But this oh. Gracefield camp is the one that produces the highest quality meat for these monsters. And the yeah, highest kind of quality... a bit Maze Runner-y. I was just about to say, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen... I mean, the focus of the... I guess the wall is a large part early on. But the whole point of them escaping is... Ray, because they reveal the truth to Ray, 
And Ray and Norman don't want to save the other kids because they don't think that it'll work because some of the kids are like six years old and, you know, they're oh. not going to survive. Whereas Emma really, really, really wants to save these kids. So when, like, they're planning to escape, like, she knows they're going to escape. And, like, there's one of the kids called Phil and he's got, like, the cutest face. Um, and she's having to explain to him that, like, oh, we're just going on, we're just going to go on a little adventure. You stay here, blah, blah, blah. And it's heartbreaking. It's, like, I was surprised that it really kind of sucked me into the characters. And I think it's down to the writing and at times it's very fast paced. There's actually mm. an anime for this as well, which I've not watched because I don't think the way the quick dialogue between the, the kids would work in an anime because, you know, you're restricted in the time that's being played out to you. Whereas the manga, you can read as quickly as you can go. Yeah. And at the times where it's tense, you're doo -doo 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 between panels and the panel layouts are always fantastic. I've just I've got a lot of praise for this series, and I would I would highly highly recommend it. And I hope I haven't give too much away about the story to think for people to think it's just a one trick because it's really not because mm -hmm. um, they find clues like within the the orphanage they find clues from a person called oh what's his uh, like Will Minerva I think he's called they find his symbol on books and then. Obviously, these kids are geniuses. They realize around the edge of the symbol, it's actually Morse code. And they work out what this Morse code means. And apparently, there's a human on the outside who's trying to save these kids. But then they realize these books are from 2015. So they don't know whether oh. this person's still alive. And That's a good it. setup. <laughs> it, it's, it's really, really clever. And there was something I thought early on that was really going to put me off. And I, as, an, as somebody in the audience, I never like to feel cheated. Mm. by like what they find out what they kind of learn but with this i was always one one step ahead uh, sorry one step behind but i wasn't too far behind to feel like oh where did that come from you know what i mean it's it's all foreshadowed very early on like uh something I, i'll i'll mention is that the trackers are actually hid in the earlobes it's like a, a small chip that they, they get put in when they're a baby and there's art early on and like early on chapter one where the mother is like checking emma's ears and it's all foreshadowed in such a clever way that you would have to go back and read to obviously pick up but it, it's so clever and I, I would highly recommend it and yes they do manage to get out <laughs> of the orphanage um and they meet other monsters who are friendly I'll say that much, and <laughs> so on. So, and it's it's like some of the monster characters they're they're fantastic, and it's just, it's a very tense, scary series, really. Yeah, it sounds pretty intense. Like this is Shonen Jump. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, it's dark. <laughs> like because especially with that early setup where they kill that girl, it's like, well, I don't know who's next, and. The thing is, in these kind of things, I sometimes think, oh, I don't really care who's next. Just kind of let them die to kind of progress the story. But I don't know why I cared so much about... I think it's because Emma being the main character and having such focus on this family, she calls her family, and she wants to save them all, you automatically kind of sit in her shoes. Yeah. As the as the reader, I suppose. Uh, that's not to say that Norman uh, and Ray, the other, the, the other two boys, are like, unrelatable because they're not they, they are have they have like valid points in their own right but yeah definitely check it out if you can um 
yeah, I'd highly, highly, highly recommend it. And I'm on to chapter 100, I think. And there's currently 145. Because what I do is I'll, I'll take a break. It's like everything. I'll I'll binge something that I'm reading. Mm. Then I'll have a break because it's a lot to take in. So yeah. 145 chapters is, is manageable. Especially yeah, it doesn't sound too bad. £1.99, even if that's the only thing that you read, I think that's a bit of a bargain. Is there... um? Anything else that you've either read or watched that you'd say has similar themes or is set up in a, in a, in a same way that people could relate it to? Mm, that's a good question. Um, a film that <laughs> this is a te- probably people listening now be like, well, that's a bad example. But <laughs> watch that. Um, the one where they're in the see, I can't remember what it's called. See, I've never even seen the film, but I know the plot. It's where they're in a, like a, a wood, a forest, and they're kind of kept behind on the technology, and there's actually like a city outside. Oh, uh, yeah. Spoilers for the village, but yeah, the village. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That that <laughs> is what. And I've not even seen the film, but I know that. Hmm. I guess that is a one. Um, early on, I'd say it's more in that regard, but then later yeah. on, it's. A mu- it's much once the world opens up a bit yeah it's it's a it's i wouldn't say it's a very different story but it it changes its own pace from these kind of these genius kids working stuff out and trying to get one over on the on the mother character and then you know it's really clever like methodical interactions and nothing feels wasted whereas then once they get into the world it's it's a different ball game it's it's very clever so mm. I guess I should have really thought of examples of what it's like, but like, I guess it's a classic. You get set up in a story, and there's actually yeah, there's something going on here that's not too obvious as to why, and it's like that everything's perfect, but is it? So it's been done many times before, but I mean that Maze Runner reference that you made. Mm-hmm. I guess I'd be interested to check that out to see if it's similar, but um... yeah, I would recommend at least uh, watching the first film mm. or yeah. reading the first book because um, it does sound like because it a core level for both mm. of them, it does sound like there's influence from say things like Lord of the Flies. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think that Maze Runner, at least the first one, takes um, that kernel and then takes a different route than mm. the Promise Neverland yeah. seems to take. Yeah. I don't want to, like, the monsters, I only briefly touched on the monsters, like, there's some later on that they find this village, as I said, I don't want to give too much away, they find this village where kids live there, and every day an alarm goes off, or every two days an alarm goes off, and these monsters come, and they're, like, dressed as hunters, and, like, they do this, like, hunt within this village, mm. and it's, like, that's, that's so cool, because the main hunter, like, they speak, like, they speak like our language but they also speak like a demon language which is shown in like uh weird hieroglyphs that you, you, like they'll mention someone's name which I, I'm, I'm a sucker for this kind of thing they'll say someone's name who you probably shouldn't know too early on in the, in the yeah. series but they'll say it in this demon tongue so it's like oh who, who who is that blah 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 and uh but yeah they get introduced and he's a fantastic character um but yeah i, I check it out and as i say for 199 and if you're unsure, go and have a look at the, the artist's work. I would say that's a good kind of inkling if you're going to like it or not because, you know, that's that's the draw. Because I've got nothing to compare the writer's stuff to because I've not read the other work they've done. So, yeah, check it out. 
Don't watch the anime. Read the manga. <laughs> the the anime is meant to be really good. Not to take away from that, but I think by design, it's going to be far stronger and far more uh, impactful to to read rather than to watch. Cool. And that was The Promised Neverland. Yeah. Sounded like a very effusive recommendation there. Are you gonna are you gonna read it? Yeah, I'll check out the first. Uh, I I did originally plan to read a couple of chapters before this recording, but life being as it is, I I didn't get a chance. But oh, that's a shame. I now that uh, there's an, a handy app I can use, then I uh, I can very check out that one. you'll be you'll be you'll be a convert. No yeah. more Marvel and IDW. You'll be Mister Shonen Jump. Well, if you listened, you'd hear I'm a Mister Image. But yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, you like all the, the purples and stuff, don't yeah. you? Yeah. See, I do listen, there's proof. That's a, a long running joke. And Marv, what have you been reading? I have recently reread uh, uh, an old favourite of mine, uh, The Max, uh, written and, well, almost all the art done by Sam Keith. Um, although in later chapters, um, he's got help from Bill Mesnerlobes. Well, that's in the beginning as well uh, on writing, and uh, even Alan Moore uh, writes an issue of this. It was originally published by uh, Image Comics and then uh, picked up by IDW uh, to finish the run and uh, do a collected um, reissue of it. Um, and I think more recently, um, it's been recollected. Twenty thirteen, I believe. Um, but it's one of my, uh, I, I say old favorites, but it's strange because I came to this and uh, anyone listening who knows the Max or, you know, is a fan of the Max is probably uh, half of them will have come into it the same way that I did. Um, I was introduced to it through the uh, MTV uh, animated series uh, on liquid television uh, along the likes of um, Aeon Flux and The Head. So it's got... Uh, sort of big nostalgia for me that cartoon it reminds me of uh, those days when you first got cable and you you got mtv and you were introduced <laughs> to all these weird like out there cartoons and art styles that you'd never seen before with adult themes it was really interesting stuff um yeah it was i remember it being like jumping out because things were already starting to look a bit different on mtv with the look of characters like beavis and butthead and, and daria but then, mm. the, the, like the liquid uh, television stuff, that one, that stuff, like really jumped out to you because, of, like, things like this, as you said, the Max and uh, Aeon Flux, they are so like idiosyncratic in how they look. They're so individual. There's nothing mm. else that looks like those art styles, and they're all different. Exactly, exactly. It was uh, very refreshing, and also, um, I guess, kind of confusing because you get so used to the way that, um, and you know, I say cartoons, but any kind of animated show looks, especially you know, if you're early into or hadn't gotten into sort of anime and manga and things like that, that seeing something like Aeon Flux and seeing something like The Max is a big shock to the system in a good way. It kind of opens your mind to these things and sort of sets you on a path where you're like, okay, I can look at these things that are sort of, uh, uh, well, not usual. I've I've lost my vocabulary at the moment, but. It was it was great stuff, and it really stuck with me. So for years, I thought, you know, I, I heard that it had uh, been adapted from a, a comic book run and just never had the chance to read it. So many years later, I um, got the collected editions uh, and read those and realized that the uh, cartoon only really covers sort of part of the first story arc in it. 
Um, so it was interesting the first time reading it to see where, where it went and what happened to all the characters and all that sort of thing. Um, the original comic was 35 issues, and uh, the collection that I've got, I've got the one before the 2013 reprint, so it is six volumes. Uh, five volumes, forgive me. The new one is six volumes. Um, and I, I think the way that it splits them up is really interesting as well. So um, I'm concentrating on the first volume, kind of, but I, I want to just sort of talk about the whole run as a whole uh, without, as Askew said, without giving too much away so that if you haven't read the max, uh, hopefully I can pique your interest and you can pick it up. Uh, again, it's only 35 issues, so it's not a big ask. Do you mind if I ask a very quick question? This Go has ahead. been bugging me for years, and I actually alluded to this to Marv earlier. I usually know what the question is. I've never read it. I've never watched it, but I know the character's design. Hmm. Is it a mustache or is it teeth? That's actually a harder question to answer than it should be. It's definitely not a mustache. <laughs> because I've all, I, I can't unsee a, a grey or white mustache that, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, now, now that you've said that, I see it and I hate you because I can't unsee it. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what will, is it? I'll, I'll say that <laughs> the main character has a full purple costume, uh, which covers his head as well. Um, and then there are what look like teeth, but are kind of part of the mask. But again, it's a hard question to ask because the answers as to why the mask looks like that are a huge part of the central plot of the main storyline. <laughs> Maybe it's a chin. It's definitely not a chin. Because you know how like Thanos's chin has like the wrinkles. Are they it like could be lines, like wrinkles. If it was I don't like <laughs> Thanos' redheaded stepchild or something, yeah, yeah. it could be. Could be. <laughs> I, anything works, but sorry, I, that's, I feel better that it's maybe not a mustache. I was going to say semi-clarified. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, when you said that you had a question that has been bugging you for ages, I didn't expect a mustache question. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um. Being that the series was originally uh, Image, as Leon will uh, be happy to tell you, it's got a very particular art style. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a very unique art style because it's um, almost sort of a single vision. It's uh, written and uh, and and penciled uh, exclusively by Sam Keith, and then there's sections where he gets help from other people and obviously different colorists and things like that. But it's got this sort of image purple running through it, um, and the character designs are very... Um, they're just they're very sharp um a lot of the uh, line work is just very very uh, i won't say overdone that's not the word i'm looking for but it's sort of that messy work where you've got um lines aren't erased to make sort of clean outlines mm. so it's a very interesting uh, visually a very interesting comic to read and the themes in it um uh, it's really weird because it rides two lines at the same time on one hand, it's, an, it's a, an infinitely silly comic. Like it's got a really, um, a really broad sense of humor. It's not afraid to make like silly jokes, but at the same time, it's dealing with uh, the human subconscious, um, the workings of the psyche, um, you know, the the, id, the ego and the superego, uh, how people deal with trauma. There's so much trauma throughout this book, and it's um, it's great to see uh, someone's take on how we deal with it. So a lot of the characters have something in their past. I won't say how many of the characters, if, if none, if all, but um, <laughs> there's a lot of um, like sexual abuse, um, emotional abuse, um, repressed memories, a lot of things that inform the way the characters are in the first few issues that get 
unfolded as you read more and more. I mean, there's almost sort of three loose story arcs where you've got the main storyline introduced in the first sort of third. Uh, the middle chunk is almost exclusively um, about delving into everyone's backstories and finding out how their stories are all intertwined. Because one of the great things is, you know, you're reading along and you sort of come to realize over the course of the comic that everyone has these links uh, and, you know, they're not silly links like, oh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm your father and I'm, you know, this, this person is actually, you know, you from the future. It's, it's whoa, all. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I love future links like that. I'm a sucker for time <laughs> travel and stuff like that. Let me have it, but go on. <laughs> I'll, I'll agree with you when it's done well. But, <laughs> True. <laughs> but no, the, um, like, basically, you've got the, the Max, um, who is this sort of Ben Grimm-shaped big guy. So he's, <laughs> he's like a big, big, muscular human humanoid person. Um, in what we take to be a purple costume, he's got yellow gloves, I would say. Uh, and he's got, like, anyone who knows the, the Sonic the Hedgehog series, the character Knuckles, where when I say that he's got one big knuckle, it's not like like a wolverine claw or something it's like a big extension of his fist that ends in a big sharp point on each hand and that's primarily what he uses for fighting and uh, as askew has pointed out he has uh, a chin slash mustache slash teeth that um take up half of his mask um and he is introduced as this sort of semi-urban superhero who sort of helps people who have been mugged or attacked or uh, a potential rape victim um but he sleeps in a cardboard box on the street, so he's kind of a homeless bum at the same time, not your average superhero. And you find out that he has a social worker named Julia, who we're introduced to uh, towards the end of the first or the beginning of the second issue, um, who basically bails him out. Whenever the police show up and he's you know, beaten someone to within an inch of their life, she bails him out, and uh, she often sort of takes him home with her because they are... Uh, codependent friends she has a lot of issues that she's dealing with and he helps around the house and she kind of needs his attention uh it's sort of a, a very platonic friendship but he uh, is very dependent on her as well i think he's her anchor in this world because seemingly again at the beginning seemingly he has nothing else um and then what you find out again we get into the overarching themes and the human psyche and everything is that a lot of the story takes place in our world, in what we call the real world of the comic. And then suddenly the Max will be in the middle of doing something and he'll flash to another world called the Outback, which is represented <laughs> like like the Australian Outback, but with like these weird Dr. Zeus animals. So like weird sort of uh, fantastic beasts, amalgamations of like a rabbit and a crab and a this <laughs> and a that. And there's these air whales that sail through the sky and stuff. And in when he's in the outback, he doesn't remember the um, city stuff. So in the outback, he has like this mane of um, like straw that's like a big wild shock of hair that he doesn't have in the cityscape, where it's just like a purple cap on the top of his uh, costume. But in the outback, he's uh, he's constantly monologuing to himself about how he's the king of this realm and he must protect his queen and everything. And you find out that there is. Um, uh, the Leopard Queen. Uh, she's sometimes referred to the uh, as the Leopard Queen, uh, sometimes the, the the Amazon Queen. But she is um, almost like the spirit of the Outback uh, to him, anyway. And she is like face build everything. She is Julia, his social worker, 
except oh. in this world, she's all in leopard print. She has a pet leopard. She's got a giant spear, and she talks very regally and, um, you know, very much like your your ethereal queen from uh from um vocabulary's gone. I was going to say old timey stories. Interpret that how you will. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the third character that we're introduced to is a character called Mister Gon, who is um. Just, just horrible. I mean, when you're watching the cartoon, it's it's skin crawling. He has, he's just basically a bald, uh, like I don't know, fifty, maybe sixty year old white guy, quite slim, pot belly. He's got um, a very scruffy beard. He looks kind of like a an emaciated Doctor Robotnik, um, and he's just wearing this really huge blue cape with a big collar, um, and the cape is almost like Spawn's cape, in that it's sort of everywhere and nowhere at once. Um, and they actually make use of it. He, the, the the first time that the Max and Mister Gon fight is in a, a petrol station, and they end up fighting on top of the petrol station. And Mister Gon's cape starts enveloping the station. And there's a character who's pumping gas, um, who is just sort of like, oh, is this like a tarp or something? Like, oh, is, are they are they closing the, sh the the station? All the curtains are dropping, and it's just Mister Gon's cape is just taking over more and more of the scenery as the fight goes on. Um. Mr. Gon has these sidekicks that he brings with him called the Iz, which is spelled I-S-Z. Um, and they're like these little, they almost look like they're made of ink. They're these like perfectly blue-black, um, maybe three-foot-tall munchkin-looking things. And their entire head is just blackness and teeth. So they're kind of like the critters without eyes. Um, and they carry out his bidding. They attack the Max, obviously. But he can put costumes on them and the everyday public sees them as whatever he's dressed them as so he'll put them in like little dresses and glasses and everyone will just see little old women so that's how he gets around not having people freak out that there's these weird otherworldly creatures around with him and yeah that's that's kind of the the beginning of the initial arc and you kind of you obviously the first question that comes to mind is you know is this all in the max's head because obviously julie is there and the amazon queen is julia is it just how he sees himself as a hero whereas he's just this crazy guy in a suit but then he is very strong and some of the things that he can do you know they're very super heroic so at the same time you're like is this real uh, as you go on later on, you're like, is the outback the real world and the cityscape is like some inception field where they're dealing with stuff? Um, you get other characters introduced and other plot lines seeded in. Uh, but it's it's kind of a lot to get into without bogging this down. But it's such a good comic. Um, it's very head trippy because, again, the, the whole concept of the outback is um, like the... the, the, the the bottom line of it without i mean it's not going to spoil too much but basically everyone has an outback the outback is how this comic um manifests your inner world your inner thinking the place that you go to sort of that your inner child creates to deal with the, the shit that you go through in life and everyone's looks different there's another character later on and instead of like rolling uh, australian fields she has um a, like a never-ending carpet fort where she as a child had blankets made up into a fort and she would crawl through them and pretend to be like a princess. Uh, so when she enters her outback, she's got just miles and miles of like blanket tunnels with all of her childhood toys protecting her. Uh, so it's a very interesting concept uh, that ends up going to some very, very dark places. Uh, so, I mean, you know, without sort of uh, 
well, not having done it at the beginning of the uh, description, but, you know, content warning for if you're going to get into this comic, there's um, attempted rape, there's a lot of talk of um, uh, abuse that's happened to characters as children, and it all sort of informs who they are and some of the very good and very, very shitty decisions they make as the comic goes on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if I went on any longer, I'd kind of just sort of be dissecting it uh, issue by issue. <laughs> But I, I, again, I would highly recommend it. It might not be for everyone. If, um, if very sort of metaphysically ambiguous stories are not your jam, if you don't like things where you're not sure which reality is real and whether characters are telling the truth or not, uh, if you don't like uh, time skips and you don't like reality shifts, this isn't for you. But uh, if you are open to sort of um, a more interpretive story where it's not very straightforward but you can follow what's going on i'd definitely say give this a try how um would you say it compared reading it now then from when you read it way back when um i think it hit me harder this time um i think having read the comic run after sort of re-watching the uh, cartoon as much as i could because you can't get your hands on it now for love nor money I was very much just sort of excited to get back into the world and be reintroduced to the Max and everything. And obviously the uh, the underlying themes were there, but like reading it now, sort of on the cusp of 35, um, I forgot how messy the characters are. And that's one of the best things about it is that there are, there's not a, any character in this book that is like, oh, that's our good guy. Oh, that's a person who's got their shit together. Like everyone's a complete mess. And they're all just trying to make this work and save each other and in a weird, <sighs> nonsensical way, save the world. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of the uh, the heavy themes are handled quite well. There are some things where it being sort of originally started in 1993, um, you know, there's some sort of uh, what now would be considered sort of proto-feminist stuff where... It, they introduce um, some themes of like feminism and even some feminist writers are, um, are, are name dropped, uh, but it's not handled, I think, as well as it would have done if it was had been written now. Mm. But that's kind of part of the charm of it as well. The storytelling style of it being a 90s comic lends itself to the story in a good way. So it is, it's a complete mess, but it's a beautiful mess. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever see him without the suit thing? That, w- that would be telling. <laughs> you're gonna have to read it i like at the bottom of the blurb on the first volume it literally the last line is sam keith saying want any more details monkey boy buy the book <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the is because not to pull this chat to bloodborne but there's an, there's an <laughs> well when is... you when you said when you said that those demons come into the uh into the the compound dressed as hunters the first thing i thought of was bloodborne so carry oh, on no, carry no. on no well, just there's a it must have some other meaning I mean, they look good. I, I checked out what they look like in the Max. I think they're like a cool design, but there's something in Bloodborne, so I don't know whether it's like a, like a Lovecraftian thing because Bloodborne, it... Bloodborne pulls a lot. Did I say Bloodborne? Bloodborne <laughs> pulls That's a lot. That's a totally different game. <laughs> it pulls a lot from like Cthulhu uh, Lovecraftian stuff. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there in case you wanted to... Uh, I'll, I'll look into that. I, yeah, I assumed yeah. because... Um, Again, it's a lot about sort of um, your inner child and, mm. you know, your regressed self and, you know, your id and everything. I thought it had something to do with oh, psychology yeah, yeah. 
or, or mm-hmm. some creature that is tied into psychology in some way. But well, I've not looked into that. Well, so Lovecraft, a lot of the Lovecraftian stuff, I, Greg's not even here. And this Cthulhu <laughs> references, he'll be loving it, is based around like people going crazy and the, like the, the mind and all that stuff. So there's, there's going to be, I think there might be some link there. Hmm. It would be worth all. checking out, definitely. Yeah. Hmm, I want to see what he looks like under the mask. like uh, i think it was last year or maybe the year before when because idw re-released or uh, republished everything in 2013 Hmm. uh, i was able to pick up the bundle uh, of the max so Mm -hmm. again like with the promised neverland i was i was planning to read at least like the first trade to sort of uh, freshen up my memory but uh, I didn't get around to it. But it's like loaded onto my my iPad now uh, from that bundle, so it's there, wait waiting to be read. And uh, like originally, like years back, you actually lent me the books, and I had them forever. But I, um, but I, and I I got through um got through half of them, uh, and I remember it being very subversive. And it's one of those books where for the time that we would have engaged with it after the show it would have been like the perfect time for that type of media. Um, oh, definitely. Because it deals with a lot of those themes that you, uh, people as like young and mid- middle teens like lap up uh, with like just the the world outlook and like sort of the rebellion and all that. It, like it, do- it does feed into uh, a lot of those feelings that you go through at that time. Yes, it has got a very sort of punk edge to it. And um, like you said, subversive is a, a brilliant word because that whole sort of liquid television, MTV, you know, no wonder it ended up on MTV as an animated series because mm. it's, it's that sort of world. Chances are a lot of the people listening are comic purists, but for somebody who's not, would you say, if you had to pick one, you know what I'm going to ask, do you watch mm. the cartoon or do you read the comic? If you have the choice of one or the other, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'd, say, I'd say definitely go with the comic. Um, if you have the cho- choice of one before the other, I'd say if for some some by some miracle you got your hands on it, watch the cartoon, see what you ah. think of it, and then dive into the. That was going to be the next question. So hmm. you did good. We're in the outback right now. Yeah, yeah. Might <laughs> I'm in a leopard print uh, bikini. I've I've got a shock of uh, hay hanging off the top of my head, <laughs> and a grey moustache. <laughs> you mean a Thanos chin, surely? Yes. <laughs> it's weird. Like, I know so little about this, but I have seen the character every, like, not everywhere. Obviously, not everywhere. But it's a very iconic, iconic. look for its time. Definitely. Not to say that it now feels outdated, but you no, think no. about that you, era. You... It is the image of the era to me i was gonna say you saying of its time is like perfect because one of the things that i was gonna say when i was talking about character designs is the max is like one of the most 90s uh creations ever like you just look at like just type it in online have a look at the the character itself it's so nice the only way it could be more 90s is if it had like a million belts and pouches hanging off of it like (laughs) (laughs) it looks like a hulk comic or a fantastic four comic where they did those weird 90s redesigns and made them look really edgy <laughs> yeah it's a weird and especially like i'm looking at a few of the covers from different like iterations like he's drawn in such a very different way in different versions but it's so obviously him mm. so i think it's yeah. it, that is always a good thing when you can recognize a character from his silhouette 
And mm. I think with this, you'd either think it was the Hulk, but then you'd see the the, the knuckle things. Or yeah. depending on the silhouette, if you see his chin, you'd probably see, or the mustache. We don't know. <laughs> uh, it's a good, it's a good look. Mm. Good look. Yeah, it's, it's stuck with me. It's stuck. It's stuck with me uh, over three phases because the the cartoon stuck with me, the original reading of the comic stuck with me, and having now reread it, it's uh, fresh in my mind again. And uh, mm. a lot of that stuff is still swimming around up there. It's a good, a good run. Is there good? Is the interesting thing is, um, I will answer that by not answering it. Um, the, <laughs> wow. the, the is that you see um, mostly in the comic are in the real world in the city, and yeah. they're the black the black is, but yeah. in the outback they're white and they're very docile. So they're not good or bad, but they're they're way more feral and carnivorous when they cross over into the real world, right. and they usually change color when they cross over. I say usually because uh, something might happen. <laughs> Laying those crumbs. I know, I know. Jeez. Hmm. <laughs> so that's a recommendation. A high recommendation. <laughs> I was going to pick a comic that I didn't like. <laughs> I was just just so you can say, no, I don't recommend it at all. Yeah, not to be like <laughs> one of those people, but... You know, I, th- I considered it. Something that I've read and I was thinking, hmm, maybe I should talk about something I don't like. But positivity yeah. is good. Yeah. Like, and I want people to learn off what I like, you know, not... Like, not I can dislike. understand that impulse because, uh, as what happens on this show, we're not like an IGN or something like that. Uh, we're not having to put out things daily. Uh, we're not having to really keep as as current. And in that case, you would come up a lot against a lot of things that you'd be less interested in mm. but because on this show we sort of have the luxury to pick and choose things that look like they're going to tickle our fancy in some way so often and like long-term listeners will probably know uh, over the course of the like last few years there's only been a handful of comics that uh, one of us or um, a set of us have really bounced off on in in, in a notable way but for the most part the the damning is usually like faint praise where yeah it's cool blah blah and uh, we're not effusive about it but generally we're quite positive on here and i think there's a, a benefit to both but um it does feel like you do lose i don't know uh, you do lose it's nice to be able to dig into something that you you truly don't like because it, it forces you to reckon with uh, why why you like other things and why this particular thing doesn't work with you. Yeah. yeah I'm not I trying to say that. you guys should be more negative by, by no means. But, <laughs> I, I, what I like about when you three is like you'll get something different from what Rahul gets from it and then Greg will get something different from the two of you. Like The positives. It, like You'll all appreciate the same thing but you'll all get something a little different from it sometimes. And I like that. Hmm. Why, thank you. Oh, it wasn't a compliment. I was just. <laughs> well, you can keep it then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gonna have that on your gravestone. <laughs> so yeah, that was the max, and like I said, it's currently published by IDW. So I'm gonna wrap up this book report by uh, talking about a graphic novel that came out in April this year, and that is the book "When I Arrived at the Castle," and that is written and like all the art done by Emily Carroll, and it's published by Koyama Press. In terms of how graphic novels go, 
this one, I'd say maybe 80 pages or something like that. So I don't really want to properly like rip into the story in, in, in any way, because I think there is one, it's, it's more enjoyable to go through it yourself, but two, the way the story is presented, you'd be cheating yourself to, to get the uh, cliff notes. Mm. So I'll just give the, the broad overview of what the story is. Basically, a cat lady enters a castle with a plan. Uh, a vampire lady welcomes her. This sounds great already. Yeah, I'm sold. Where do I buy this? Where do I buy this? Things go a bit awry. Uh, it starts in media res, and it's very disorientating. And I won't say much more about the story, but yeah, that's that's the the elevator pitch if you were going like one floor up. Um, but yeah, the, the thing that drew me to this, I'd seen like I've heard good things about Emily Carroll's previously uh, previous book, and I'd heard really good things about this book, but like not any detail about it. It was just pe- things we people recommend. And as the year, as the year goes by, certain things get slipped through the cracks, and like listeners will know I'm more of a sort of trade or graphic novel guy than I am really a single issue guy. I'm always on the hunt for graphic novels or trades or things that I may have passed us by during the year. And I'm trying to go back a bit more from time to time and find some of these things that we've um, swept by. And this one grabs you straight away with the cover. The cover is uh, black, white, and red, and I guess gray on the shading as well. And it's a super close-up of two feminine figures um, in an embrace with uh, red bloody teeth, but one of them is non-humanoid looking <laughs> and the other one is sort of a classic looking sort of sexy vampire type look i think i've seen that cover floating around on uh, comic solid actually very likely i bet you have yeah <laughs> you you see that cover and it's got the big red in the middle when i arrived at the castle uh, and emily carroll's names are in lowercase and it, it, i know it's just inviting to look at it and yeah I, I wasn't disappointed going through this book it does a lot of really cool things straight off the bat so like most times when you're reading a comic the page is white and there's like panels and inked uh, inked pencils and then you've got like like colors and shading in there and the gutters remain white and blah 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 sometimes you've got like a cool splash page sometimes books do a cool thing where they the image runs over into the gutters in this book definitely at the beginning a lot of the panel structure is not really in panels. It's uh, what you could call splash pages. But um, when there are sequences happening on one page, they do a really cool thing where at times they'll go to panels, but other times it's like a collage and a really highly detailed collage with like some of these images looking like paintings. And it's not too much to say that there's a supernatural uh, bent to this book. And... <laughs> Things do uh, get really strange um, really quickly with the character at the beginning speaking, but like, uh, or thinking, I should say, because they give the narration. And for a big chunk of the book, it's a two header, and the character with the cat, um, cat lady is only speaking in her head. And the humanoid looking uh, vampire woman is the one doing all the talking. And it creates really cool dynamic where you're you kind of have these like mind games going on and these um 
battle of wills taking place, but only one character is talking. Mm. And we're spending a lot of time in the head of this other character and seeing it from their point of view. And just the way it begins, where like the first page is an all red page, when I arrived at the castle, to sum up stuff on the third page, where the character's saying they had no idea what led them to the castle. Uh, they sort of intonate that they've got no idea how they really got there. And so you've got this cool premise set up where you're not sure exactly if what you're seeing is real. You don't know if you can really trust the narrator. Your narrator is a cat lady for some reason. <laughs> but you're just going for the ride. And it, it, it does some really smart things. Like I was saying, the panel, the panel uh, construction makes really good use of the form where uh, uh, as your eyes follow instinctually, going from panel to panel, Sometimes you're challenged to more look at the picture, uh, look at the the whole page as a picture and follow it that way, follow actions and follow movement in, in different ways than your your mind's programmed to with Western comics where you're like, you start on the left panel, you go to the right panel, you go diagonal down and you keep going that way. But in, instead, this uh, has you uh, scanning your eyes around the pages in different ways because there's so much detail. Not I wouldn't even say hidden, just presented in... In a quite uh, evocative, but also mysterious way, where some of the, like I was saying, some of the images look like paintings. They're like expressionistic in some ways, with like uh, hallways melting and, and colours bleeding into one another. And like the, the line work is, uh, like takes one colour. So like I was saying, that um, like the cover, the book uses only really four colours, and that's the, the black, white, the red, and the greys um, for like the shading. Hmm. Like I was saying, it, it's very striking, and uh, people who've read stuff like Sin City and or even seen the movie Sin City see like can see how that's used, how that can be used, where in a frame or in a, in a sequence you can place importance on a particular item or person or whatever by having that person be the sole red in, in in a sea of black and white, and we have that in Schindler's List as well, and countless things do it. But uh, but what this does instead of it being like oh, we're going to focus on the thing, keep your eyes on the red. Instead, what it does is that each of the colours are equal building blocks used to compose the different pages and the different different panels. And it works so well, obviously, vampires and blood, so you can assume where some of the red comes from. But the red is used in uh, a lot of other surprising ways where it's not just a highlight, but instead it's also a shade or um, a, a signifier of some sort helps put together an image that keeps you reading and keeps you hungry to find out more, but also like sticks with you. Um, and it's like, I wouldn't say there's any panel in here that is forgettable, to be honest. It, it is all very, very uh, like striking and, uh, and of itself. And yeah, like I, I was saying before, with the way the colors are used, so most of the times it's, it's a white page, but the majority of this book, it's black pages with white, uh, red and grey on the black pages. So the majority of the pages uh, are this like black void, this like abyss. And it really works well as the, we're following this, uh, this cat lady and getting deeper and deeper into this castle with this vampire woman. And it, it is not, it's, uh, at times it's a labyrinth, but other times it, it feels like you're being sucked into uh, some sort of doom. And as you can expect from st stuff like this, like it's at times uh, eldritch in some of its horrors. And you can feel like the cold, there's like 
recurring themes that come back throughout the book because it's raining when the main character arrives and they have to dry off. And there's this whole thing of a smell, a feeling, a cold that permeates the whole book. Jumping from that to the uh, the language is very, very visual and, and very, I wouldn't say poetic, but it uses a lot more metaphor than you normally get in comics where they're sort of conveying information either through dialogue or to move instructions on what's happening in a scene. So you, you get some really nice turns of phrase that happen like really early as well. Quite early on, the lead character saying, the rain had seeped into the very meat of me. Whereas I was, I welcomed it, the warmth of the fire. The heat moved over and through me. Lots of things like that where the words and dialogue are not really used in an expositional way uh, and instead invoke the theme or the themes quite a lot and help build quite a meaty texture to the book that really like shows its case because eh, it's not really a spoiler. But there, <laughs> at some point during the book, there are pages which are just dialogue. Um, not just dialogue, sorry, just prose, like just written word on the page. And they really, like, they really jump out at you because the page is all red. And you're like, huh, what? I thought I was reading a comic. <laughs> and what those passages read, they could easily be either too flighty, too up itself, or um, not really get to a point or be too expositional. And instead, they help build the theme. They help without you knowing it really they're constructing something in the back of your head so that when events uh, happen later on things click into p uh, place and it's not exactly just because of a um a plot machination hmm. it's yeah it's really effective how it does that and i was uh as reading it in real time i was like oh okay that's that's good that's good but uh yeah it's i think it's in what it's doing, what it's trying to do, I think it's um, very successful. And I like that it, it isn't too heavy-handed uh, in any particular way, but it's definitely not a book you could read on the train because uh, there's some nudity and, and there's some uh, there's some gore. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would heavily, heavily recommend it. I, at the time of looking for this, I was um, going to get it on Comicsology or something, but I couldn't find it. So I bought it physical. So I actually... I'm the physical guy of this episode in in, in Greg's absence. <laughs> it's really good physical. I actually, you know, I, I'm I'm a big person of the school of comics on iPad. It looks it looks lovely, lush, just images look beautiful. But having this in my hand actually did improve the experience in 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 an odd way. It looks like a win on physical though, because you know the way you transition pages, where as you're flicking them, sometimes you get a bit of a spoilery thing where a part of your eye is seeing the other page. And it does help build uh, like a tension, uh, but also every time like out of the corner of my eye, I saw something, it was never something where it was like, oh, uh, okay, I know how these panels are going to resolve. Instead, it was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll see you in a couple seconds because uh, I don't know what's going on there. I'm looking at some <laughs> of the splash art and it looks like very freeform in that it won't force you to read it from, as you mentioned, like left, blah, 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 blah. But it looks like I could dive in at any place. Like the picture I'm looking at, I could dive and focus on any point first and it would still have the same atmosphere and I, I wouldn't feel like I was missing anything if I did it in a weird way. Yeah. And that's the thing. Some of those pages are definitely, definitely like that where 
you just jump in and you're not told um you like sort of have to unlearn how your, your eyes are normally tracking because you will you, i think you yeah. could miss out on a lot if you're just scanning from dialogue box to dialogue box and from art box to art box because there's a lot of stuff in the margins because there are no for a lot of these pages there are no margins instead in the margins you've got a lot of detail so is the vampire the one who lives there and is she like luring her in yes pretty much ah, right. I thought so. uh yeah, so it, it is, she's been waiting for the cat lady, mm-hmm. and as the story goes on, uh, you, so, you start to get a, a bigger idea of what, if any, connection they have before, and what's the importance and relevance of this meeting, and what uh, um, has, what it's all led to at this point. Mm-hmm. So it adds, adds history, but it's not history as like in backstory, really. Because a lot of it is quite poetic and is quite um, drenched in theme. And that's why I think it works really well. This book handled differently could just be a lot of uh, thematic nonsense with some like pretty, pretty pictures. But I, I think there is a real texture, a real something really tangible to sort of dig into with this. And I think that it doesn't, it's a book that doesn't waste your time. The only thing I can think of recently to compare it to that is uh, slightly different from what you'd get from this type of horror is the Guillermo del Toro movie uh, Crimson Peak from a few years back, which uh, unfortunately was sold by the studio as being out-and-out horror as a ghost story, but instead that movie is a gothic romance, he called it. And while that movie isn't 100% successful for me, I think people slept on a lot of really interesting things that happened in that in that film and that one is is a lot about uh, how theme plays into the story and dynamics between like really strong uh, willed characters and it's set in a big house or on like the top of a hill it's uh, uh, metaphysical in some ways i mean and that's beyond the ghosts so i, I think that is, uh, is is a comparison but I, i'd say that they play out very differently like i said one's a ghost story and this one starts as a vampire story because I think it's uh, it ends up or progresses into a, a lot more than that. Hmm. I mean, ultimately, I would say that this is worth a blind pickup. I mean, it's not going to be for everyone, but if you generally like something like not to be challenged, but something a bit different, something a bit a bit more, something with a bit more of, of, of a, liter- a literature sort of bent, but not presented in a way that sort of belittles the uh, graphic art form so yeah all, all in all that is a solid recommendation for me uh it sounds like all thumbs up for us today and for me that was when i arrived at the castle and i'm gonna give that an a what what would you letter grade yours ask you oh god um is there an s class oh because <laughs> i'm not yeah. gonna give it an s <laughs> uh <laughs> I'm going to give it an A as well. Very good. And Mark? I think um, in terms of general audiences and their potential reception to it, I would give the Max a B plus because I can think of quite a few comics that I've read that I have enjoyed more, but the Max definitely sticks with me, so it's definitely worth checking out. So a B plus. Do you have an S tier on your gauge or not, though? 
What's the top of your uh, gauge, Mark? Mark. The, the ST is like the gold star, where yeah. something is like it's. It can be an A star, um, an A plus. Yeah. Uh, for using American, but then the, the gold star means it's even more specially recommended. Okay, I've got a few STs, but yeah, there, there'd this. be a couple. I mean, the first one that would jump to my into my head would probably be Watchmen, probably, but um, yeah, yeah, there, there'd probably be a few X, uh, S ranks. <laughs> okay, so it sounds like it's been a, a good book report. We we picked wisely. <laughs> Thanks, Mister Leon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gold stars for everyone. Um, <laughs> and uh, annoyingly, now it means I definitely have to read the other two. So that's not just. I'd be offended. Let's put it this way: if <laughs> you've you've already read the max, but if if you guys don't read mine and I read yours, I'll be offended. <laughs> I'll be pissed, right? we'll, we'll check back in a month's time. Yeah. Mine's one pound ninety nine. Literally, you could read it for one pound ninety nine. Like I, I want them to sponsor us after all that. <laughs> yeah. But yes, that was the comics. So uh, I hope listeners have some books to think about in this upcoming uh, new comic book day. Head out to your LCS and pick them up. So in Greg's absence, while he's sipping beer before midday, he did have time to have a question for the three of us. Greg's question was, I have a task for you, three. Each of you must come up with a set of super lame, yet super useful mutant powers. You get two each. Nothing that can be over overly exploited involving money, etc. So not like always guessing the lottery numbers and stuff like that, I assume. Or turning stuff into gold. I'm talking really lame stuff that you sometimes think about that would help you day to day as a boring ass adult. That's uh, Greg's words, not me. Uh, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> uh, the base example he gave was, say, the power to read and understand T's and C's and contracts really quickly. <laughs> that would be really useful. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys want to go first or did you want to hear uh, Greg and Rafa's answers? Because I do have those. Um, let's Give hear their those. answers. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Rahul's answer was one. I want to be able to reheat fried food instantly without it going soggy. Useful. <laughs> Very. Uh, That's called the second... oven. You just don't mind with it. His second was, I want fried food to only be as calorific as it was before frying. So that is like super low balling, but uh, I, I admire. What does yeah. he eat that he's constantly frying that is super healthy before it gets fried? Like <laughs> he, strawberry? He got... No, he, he can't eat broccoli as it is. He has to oh, stick God. it in the fryer. <laughs> like, uh, he orders a, a takeaway and like, pops it in the fryer. <laughs> I've got this chicken chow mein, but it's not crispy enough. <laughs> and I'm from the part of the world that is close to the part of the world that fries Mars bars. Yeah. <laughs> good, yeah, that, that, those are useful. <laughs> Definitely useful. Like Definitely. you're not you're not exactly a Morlock with those powers. You can keep them on on the load. The Sentinels will not come and get you. <laughs> uh, Greg's answer was one. I want the power to instantly metabolize ice cream as I eat it. Sensing the theme here. Yeah, uh, I mean we're all in our thirties. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second one he put was, I want a power that enables me to be able to drink 
but only ever get the good buzz kind of drunk, no matter how much I drink. <laughs> that would be <laughs> insane. <laughs> I think you'd be creating a god doing that. I, I, if, if I had that power, I'd never spend a day sober. <laughs> what? <laughs> if I could only get the happy buzz and not all of the sloppy falling around and throwing up and whatever, I'd, That's still I'd never drink water again. Stuff, yeah. You couldn't operate yeah. heavy well, machinery. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it on work days, obviously. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got the greatest power in the world. I've lost my job. <laughs> imagine and, you could uh, do like right. drinking competitions and like win them. Um, yeah. Cheating, using your powers for evil. No, well, that's not <laughs> evil. That's you, you know bragging rights. Yeah, <laughs> could be expensive then. Uh, it could be either cheap or expensive. Well, as long as it's not the uh, Captain America one. Oh, my metabolism burns it, so I can't even get drunk. That's that's the yeah. worst coin. The worst side of that coin. Well, because imagine that's the food thing, where like, yeah, it can metabolize ice cream, but imagine it, it works backwards with some of the ingredients of ice cream. Oh. So then. He can just never get full eating those things. Oh, oh man. Stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, apparently Greg had another superpower, which was cheating, because even though he created the question, uh, there's a third one. And if I remember correctly, I think it was that Greg did say three to begin with, and then Varhol said two is more interesting. So here's Greg's third one, which is, uh, and it's related, which is uh, the power to wake up fresh as a daisy, with zero hangover after the heaviest of sessions. Ah. So he's going ham with the light buzz, but drinking yeah. like gallons, like a, you know. <laughs> wow. I, I, I think it's, um, his his questions have been coloured by his current circumstances. I think he he wrote those questions down after an afternoon of like drinking in the sunset. <laughs> Eating ice cream. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's got a plate of ice cream and a stein of beer and he's just like, hmm. <laughs> So, Marv, what would your answer be? Well, this question uh, has brought up something that I have thought of for years and years and years. Like, when I heard this question being read out, I was like, yes. Because there's one thing that I have said to myself for ages, especially when I used to commute for hours and hours on end. I was like, I wish I had the power to teleport. And then I'd be like, I'd be standing on the train platform waiting for the last train home in the rain. And I'd be like, you know what? I wouldn't even have to have the power of actual teleportation. If I could just have one teleport a day and I could okay. use it if I, just once a day, if I was late for work, if I was out drinking and I was, I'd miss the night bus, uh, like just something where it was like, if I don't use this teleport, it's going to take me three hours to get home. That would be my power. It's super useful. Like, you wouldn't really be able to become a superhero with it because you teleport to the scene of a crime and then be stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a caveat for that. I, I want to know yeah. how far you can travel. Is there a hmm. limitation to it? And also, is it... I know, you're going to say no, it's not. Oh, no, you're going to say yes, it is. Is it instant? What if that teleport took longer, but it felt instant for you? Would you still do it? Oh, that's interesting. Imagine like that. A time skip. Yeah. So it's yeah. Like, for you, it feels like a second, but it's actually seven hours instead of three, or six hours instead of three. Do you still um, do it? Because for you, it's instant. So who cares? I mean, <laughs> if, if that was the caveat that came with the power, and that was the only way I could have it, I would still use it, but very sparingly. Because that's the equivalent of just blacking out on the way home. <laughs> Which would be great awesome. at times. 
Yeah, because you don't get the travel and the the, yeah. the, the nasty people but around then you. You're like burning like time off your life. That's yeah. why I would use it sparingly because it would be like a what's it? The, I hate referencing this as a, a a reference because it's a terrible movie. But the Adam Sandler film film Click, where he whoa, realizes, terrible film. Uh, it's it's one of the better of his bad films, but still, come on, it's not it's not on the S tier. No, it's, 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 I don't think it's on the tier list. It's, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. Terrible. It's not terrible. But yeah, he, he turns around and realizes that he's basically wasting his life by skipping out on the mundane moments. But distance-wise, it wouldn't be crazy. I wouldn't be able to teleport to Australia or anything. But yeah, probably again. Yeah, <laughs> it all comes back. Um, probably cross country so that if i was like i don't know if i i could go to visit you get the mega bus up mm. um chill for as long as i wanted and know that i could teleport back to london and be fine but anyway that's not uh, the real caveat you can do what you had planned. i just wanted to <laughs> you know well, no, it's spices it them interesting. exactly mm. it spices us up a bit what's your second um, the second um it's probably going to be one of you guys, if not both, but I'm expanding on the ice cream and refried thing and just being like, I can eat what I want and it will only cost the amount of calories that I set. So uh, uh, that's, that's not, that, that goes beyond the thing of being lame uh, and useful. That is a superpower. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> what about then, if we scrap that and say... But I think that it would, it would have to focus on a food. It would have to be one type of food. True. In which would you case not want to eat pe- nuts? And like, cause you're allergic to nuts. Would you not want to experience nuts? No, I. I don't use... that power. <laughs> exactly. I, 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 there was a time when I was very young when I wasn't allergic, if not you know as allergic. I remember I was able to eat nuts when I was younger. I hated the taste of peanut butter. I don't think I'm missing out on anything. Oh, you and are. I know that half the world, <laughs> half the world is now groaning, talking. To, you, you have to eat some Reese's pieces. I, I don't like it. <sighs> if I had one thing I could waste it on, it would be pizza. Yeah. <laughs> but. If I can't use the calorie example, I would be like, again, putting a time limit on the usage to make it so that it's not um, a, just basically a superpower. Like once a year, even once a decade, to be able to run back 10 seconds and correct a mistake. Yeah, that's pretty oh, good. Or do over. Because there are so many times I can think back on my life from from the smallest thing of, oh, I wish I hadn't have said that, or, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm guesting on a podcast and I've flubbed my words, to life-changing stuff that sticks with you for the whole of your life and you're like if only i'd have done that instead of that would you make awful mistakes would you like kill someone and then rewind time just to feel what yeah. it's like you know hollow if, man you get addicted to it if life had been good for like 10 years and everything was on the up i might murder someone and then bring it back to life the one time it doesn't work oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just stuck on the run enough. <laughs> You're like you don't understand. It's not real. It's not the right timeline. <laughs> <laughs> so I okay. guess those are mine too. So ask you what what's, what what mm. are yours? I think I want the ability to feel physically comfortable anywhere. So like you know when you sat in a chair and you just oh, you just can't get comfortable. I want to mm. be able to sit in any position and feel content. So you know those nights you might sleep on a couch somewhere. I wouldn't that be so comfortable. Are you on <laughs> a chair at a train and you're squashed up against someone and I just want to feel comfortable. Because <laughs> I hate, I'm a fidgeter, I'm a fidgeter. And then I get super like OCD about the setting of the chair and I'll sit at work and I'm fiddling with the settings and I'm making it worse. I just want to be comfortable. So I, I feel that. like 
I feel like every year of your life that goes by, that power will become more and more sacred to you. Oh, imagine. Yeah. Yeah, you could yeah. sleep on, like, a stone outside and <laughs> just, have the best just one big pebble. Yes. Yep. Uh... <laughs> yep. So that'd be pretty good. And also, like, you know, when you're trying to, like, I read a lot of my iPads, harking back to digital comics, I can, I sometimes want to hold it above me head mm. when I'm lying on my back, but it's, like, slightly too heavy. Yeah. I want that to feel perfectly comfortable. So it it applies to a few things. Uh, I suppose secondly, I don't want any formal conversation. So like, you know, you've got to ring up to cancel something or ring up to like get your car insurance sorted. I just want to click and it's done. <laughs> it's done. That would be incredible. So like, not even like awkward conversations in person with someone, but just just official things. Just annoying stuff. Yeah, yeah. like. Your takeaway order doesn't come. You've you've got to ring the takeaway and complain. Done, done. You if you could, about if you could bottle that ability and sell it, you'd be richer than Bezos. Yeah, because that's why I mean that's why chat systems are so popular for any company. Mm. Yeah. If I can use a chat system to do something, every time, every even time. though there are cases for me, so say like Deliveroo. Uh huh. You get better service if you call up. <laughs> but a lot of the time, I will use the chat, and I will. It takes longer. And in the end, I get what I need, but it's you like don't have to speak to someone. I don't. Yeah, I don't have to because <laughs> it, it's 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 so painful as a process, <laughs> like having to go through it. And anything where um, so uh, part of my job, I uh, spend some time speaking to Vodafone to get things done. And oh, say oh, one oh, change oh. I want to do. Yeah, I'm, and I'm putting Vodafone on blast right now. One change <laughs> I want to do. I'll still be on the phone for half an hour because <laughs> you go through all the waiting bit. And then it's like, pick this option, pick this option. So at this point, I know how to game it and get exactly to the option I want. And then they have to go through this whole spiel. And then da-da-da-da-da, And then there's been times where I've been trying to order something for someone. And I still have to go through that whole spiel. And they tell me, oh, it's not in stock. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Is it after they've verified me? you and gone to like yeah. a security thing? Oh, you're like, not on the list, Mr. Everest. questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like, it's mind-numbingly, mind-numbingly uh, painful. Um... Uh, is that uh, did you say is that your two yeah I was gonna chuck yeah. a third in but I'm gonna be good no, go. no if you wanna I wanna you be able to third. change my hair whenever I want so like I want it to like say tomorrow I wanna be bald I'm bald day after <laughs> I wanna have long hair I've got long hair and it's any style I... that I like that seems kind of kind of a good power I tell you what I tell you I tell you what considering the fact like this is like a deep cut for me because you have got the easiest hair to manage out of the three I of us. I really don't. <laughs> well, maybe I do. Maybe I do. Yes, you <laughs> trust me. Yes, you do. But I've never, well, I've grown my hair out once and had it in Cane Row when I was like 19. Um, and obviously Leon's got a, 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 an amazing afro that he's uh, taking care oh, of. Well, the listeners don't know that. There's <laughs> pictures on the website. If they're, if they're true fans, they'll know. But, <laughs> but Every time I try and grow my hair out or do anything with it, it's such a, a nightmare of a process um, that the ability to just snap my fingers and just be like, yeah, I want my hair in long parts today. Boom. It would be a great power. So I, 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 I resonate with that pick. I feel like a monster for having a third choice. Maybe my power should be that I'm allowed an extra choice in every scenario. Imagine. Imagine that. Go on, Leon. What, what you... So it's been, it's been tough because I went into this thinking like, 
the basic one, which is what we all want, which is uh, to metabolize pizza, any pizza. Right. <laughs> if, if I could, if I could lose weight and also build muscle density by having a big, massive, large stuffed crust <laughs> pizza, <laughs> it would be amazing. But I think, to a degree, it's so amazing that it's not lame anymore. <laughs> it's actually a superpower. Um, I think uh, one of mine would be so i walk um fairly quickly um but the rest of the world does not yeah. uh, I'm i can always... vouch for this <laughs> yeah i feel that i feel that <laughs> i'm always appreciative when i uh, do uh, i end up walking with someone who uh, and we're going somewhere and they do actually walk my stupid breakneck speed and like part of that is that i wish cause, so not to to dox myself but on the way to work i have to walk through uh Trafalgar Square every day. Oh, it's going to be and a Trafalgar crazy Square. fan stood there tomorrow looking for that <laughs> afro. That's the guy. It's going it's to be perfect blue. You're going to have like, <laughs> fans on the chat board. <laughs> uh, and um, it's uh, as it's a, it's a landmark, uh, world-renowned, it's always, no matter what time, always packed with tourists. <laughs> always. And that's good. It's good for our economy. Blah, blah, blah. Um but they're always taking pictures or like um, like standing in really awkward spots. So I'm having to like duck in and out of people just just to get on the way. And it's like fine, I don't want them to move, uh, but I need still need to walk this way. So I wish in circumstances like that, where I'm walking faster than people, I could just walk through them. Through them, like yeah. So so like I become Kitty Pride oh. as I'm. Go, as I can go through, so I don't have to wait awkwardly. I will just zoop straight through them and continue at my pace. Because the amount of times I have to slow down, awkwardly walk around a group of people who are like five abreast on the pavement, mm. it, it 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 does my head. Yeah. And I think just like, and this Kitty Pride uh, thing only works in that scenario. Uh, it's not like I can walk through walls and stuff. Like I that. was gonna ask. It sounds super weird, but can you go hard when you want? So like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <that's- laughs> I haven't started speaking about my second uh, power yet. But... Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> they call him the blue pill. <laughs> um, I've, there is control for finesse, but it, it's uh, relative to the pace that I was going and the, the people around. Mm. So, so I, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't uh, ask people to l- l- line up against the wall or something and try and cheat it that way. See, when you were describing it, and before you said you go through people, in my head it was like um, a really specific example. You know where uh, in Harry Potter there's um, Sirius Black's house, 13 Grummel Place, and when they need to get into it, they, they do a spell where the house, the like 11 and, uh, well, sorry, 12 and 14 separate, and the house is there, but no one else can see it, none of the muggles can see it. Yeah. So it'd be, you'd be power walking, and those people that are five abreast, they all just very silently move move away from each other but they don't see or feel it so you've got a constant path ahead of you that's just constantly opening up when you need to move but no one else knows that that could be cool but there's when i think of stuff like that i uh, I always think of it in like game development terms and like oh if it was procedurally generated that way and having like it automatically build itself but there's always going to be circumstances where they just can't get out of the way. Mm. Yeah. What if you accidentally split someone in half? You know, if like, oh, you don't line it up. Say I'm on a bridge or... and like there's a glitch and the person falls off the bridge. Whoa! 
<laughs> he pushed me. Well, could... He pushed me. <laughs> well, that's that's where you're. Uh, it's the one day that you're working with, uh, walking with me, and I use my uh, ten second rewind. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm this. I fell off the bridge, but I'm super comfortable. <laughs> I am just super comfortable. It's cool. Um, and I think my second one. So I want to preface this with saying that I actively pick and choose which uh, like charity and stuff, um, charities and stuff that I support at, at different times um, throughout the year. And it's nice for things to be brought to my awareness and then I have the power to then act on them and um, either set up a donation after I've done my research type thing. But I wish I was invisible to all chuggers, but not just all chuggers, anyone doing any type of survey, anyone doing a door-to-door thing, Anyone doing a, like, uh, call you up out of the blue thing, whether it's a robot or a salesperson, when I say invisible via the phone, I mean, I don't exist. As they go to dial my number, my number's not there because I don't <laughs> exist. And, like, in terms of walking around, um, it's not, it's the case where, uh, and this is where it, it, it uh, neatly works for my other power, that with the chuggers and the people on the street, as I, uh, uh, they can not see me, but it's no problem because I'll walk through them. So like, <laughs> so, like, if it's the thing where anybody who I don't want to engage me out of the blue, I have, like, I don't exist to them, like, or they can't see me, that would be my other power. Because um, I hate being handed free newspapers and all that junk. Like, just leave me. I walk around with headphones on all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I am the stereotypical... Uh, unfriendly Londoner. You're a grump. But, You're a grump. <laughs> but like, uh, but I'm, apparently it doesn't work anymore because people see you've got headphones on and they'll still engage you and start talking. It's like they're immune to that. Mm. So I need to level up. <laughs> you need bigger headphones. Does, it, does, it doesn't help, trust me. <laughs> Giant people are, headphones. People are savages. They'll, they'll literally look at you with your phone in your hand, looking at your phone, the headphones in, and not even tapping on the shoulder to get your attention. I've had people say whole sentences to me, and then I notice yeah, a pair yeah. of shoes. I look up, and they're mid-sentence. So I have to take my headphone out and go, Oh, that's the worst. What? Then you've bought into their deal at that point. You're halfway there. Like, once their headphones are out, you're in their world. And the, the yeah, worst thing engaged. is, yeah. because even, even though I want to be, I can't be, like, full asshole. So, like, if someone's, like, handing out flyers or whatever... I have to take it. Like, if I can't avoid them and they're handing stuff out and other people are ignoring them, I'll take it just to make their day and I'll throw mm-hmm. it away later. But the, the 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 process of getting out of your headspace and your your journey to engage with these people is the worst thing. So I yeah I I, I give that that power an A. <laughs> I, I could wait in the queue at a gig and not be handed a mixtape. Like, that <laughs> <laughs> I bet there's somebody listening who does that on a weekend, gives out flies, and they're thinking, I want my power, so everyone has to take a leaflet. <laughs> be your arch nemesis. Yeah. Your, and that's, that's, that's fair, but there has to be balance. When <laughs> one rises, another has to. Yeah, they're your Mr. Glass. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I hope that we answered that question uh, adequately for our absent, absent hosts. But uh, I, I think I think we nailed that. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so ask you, do you have any recommendations? Uh, of anything? Anything? Deep fried Preferably strawberries. Not a comic. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably not a comic. Um, 
I recently finished watching The Boys on Amazon Video. I've never read the comic. Um, I initially had this impression that, oh, this is going to be a, a thing where all the heroes are just dickheads and that's its crutch. And I was thankfully wrong. Thankfully wrong. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. I don't want to give too much away in case... A, someone hasn't read the comic, or B, they just don't want to know how the series kind of handles certain things. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's really good. First couple of episodes, I was a bit like, eh, but it really builds up to something good and kind of important, I think. I think there's some good messages in there. And I think Homelander is one of the best villains uh, of stuff I've seen in a while. So <laughs> I think the he actor portraying him is... Yeah. Per- he is... Per- he, honestly, the actor portraying him is so good so good like i've looked at bits in the comic and i prefer and this is you're probably going to say nah because you read the comic first but i like the look of him in the show better than in the comic i, I can understand that yeah that's fair that's fair i think he's got a, a, a very good style and I, as i say, i think he's so good the guy portraying him and i like all the characters except not except but you may know that um carl urban is playing billy butcher and I know that Carl Urban is from New Zealand. And for a long while, about five episodes into the show, I thought the character was from New Zealand. <laughs> and there's a point where a character says, blah, 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 and there's an English guy. And I laughed thinking that was a joke. You know, be, you know, just a joke. But no, he is, he's meant to be from London. But he still <laughs> says, car, like he's from New Zealand. Because, uh, so really- uh, and the- I don't want to dive into this at all because in the future I do want to do a proper deep dive on the right. comic. But um, it's funny because uh, I love Carl Urban, but like that casting seems very different to what I had imagined for that character. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, the dude who, not to give too much away as you say, but the dude playing Huey, I don't yeah. know if it's the same character's name in the book, whatever, I do yeah. not like him. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think he is really. I know he's kind of meant to be out of place in this squad of nut jobs, but yeah. Like, and I'm not See, the only one who's had this opinion. I've, I've spoken with this about others, and he's fine. But I would have liked him to have looked like he looks in the comic, where See, I think he's the only one I would have kept looking like the comic. I'm glad to hear that opinion purely because I was worried that because I haven't started the series yet. I'm going to start it hopefully tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I was worried that when I start the series, I will have um, like prejudged him because obviously the, because he's the not char- Simon Pegg. Exactly, the character <laughs> of Huey in the comics is literally modelled after Simon Pegg to the point oh. where they had to ask for his permission for his likeness and everything before they published it. So in my head, any screen adaptation would have to have been like early 2000s Simon Pegg brought through <laughs> a time machine. <laughs> well, uh, see, I don't want to say what I was going to say in case you don't already know. But uh, we, uh, I know if, you, if it's about Simon Pegg. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there you go. And there's, <laughs> there's some actually... I'm not even going to say what I was going to say because then I'll just reveal what I was just about to say but chose not to. <laughs> oh, but, well, I think I know what you're talking about. What do you think yeah. it is? Because, we're, you know... Well, I can't say it because... Oh, are, you, are you doing this for the listeners, or are you doing this for us? Too? I think I'm doing it for you. I don't care about the listeners. I think I'm doing this for you guys. <laughs> the, 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 isn't it, uh, again, I haven't looked too far into the series, but isn't he, like, Huey's dad? In He's the, in it, in the yeah, show? yeah. And then I yeah. wanted to expand and say there's some good cameos in nice. the show. There's nice. some, okay, some good cool. choices. But yeah, check it out. Uh, 
it's better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, roll on season two. That's what I say. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out, especially as previously said many times, big fan of mm. the books. Hmm. Uh, Marv, do you have a recommendation? Finally enough, before Askew was talking about the show, I was going to say, because the show is in you know the zeitgeist at the moment, I was just going to say to any listeners who haven't already, because the very, very few times that I've been on the podcast, I've mentioned the boys, I think, both times, and Leon has mentioned it over and over again as well. Read the comic. Read the boys. If you've watched the show and you like it, read the boys. How long if you is haven't... the comic? 72 issues. And is there it finished? Is it complete? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's finished. Oh, see, I need to be and careful it's... if I'm, like, Googling it's... a character's name. It might be I... like, blah, blah, blah's I... death. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way it's all wrapped up in the comic. Um, I was very satisfied with how it all finished up. Do you know so, where the show ends in relation to the No, comic? and I, I want to ask someone without it being too big a spoiler for people who don't know the story and whatever. Well, you can ask me after we do it, and I'll just tell you where yeah. it ends. I'll ask you off air. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I want to know how far that is through the comic. That'll be an interesting combo. Yeah. We'll have an yeah. arc. <laughs> I'm hoping that they switch things up a bit and it isn't just an adaptation of some of the early traits. Yeah. Which it sounds like it is. Uh, it's not. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, yeah, those, those are good recommendations. I don't have a recommendation. My recommendation <laughs> is to read the comics that we spoke about and to pop to your local comic book shop and... Pick up your damn orders, people. I've just seen pictures going around the internet of people. Big orders. And a lot of these places are like mom and pop uh, like indie stores. And they're like, if they've not um, had to institute like a debit system where you pay up front for your things, then these people are like just sitting on stock that people haven't picked up. So pick up your damn standing orders, people. That's my <laughs> recommendation for the week. Okay. So that brings us to the end of the episode. You can find us at acecomicals.com, which is the hub for all of our episodes and social media. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Castro, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and pretty much all other podcatchers. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals, Facebook under Ace Comicals, and Instagram at Ace Comicals. If you have a question or silly scenario you want us to flail through, you can slide into our DMs on Twitter or send an email to acecomicals at gmail.com. Ask you, where can people find you online and do you have anything to plug? I do a podcast of my own about mainly anime, but we do the odd manga thing. We discuss the odd live action thing when it's like an adaptation of an anime. Like recently we did Alita. I say recently, it's, it's like a million years ago now, I think. Was that last year? No, 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 it's this year. It's definitely this year. Anyway, we did like for example, we did an episode on that. That is at dynamiteinthebrain.com. Uh, or you can podcast uh, podcast iTunes is what I meant to say. <laughs> or you can podcast, or you can search on iTunes. That kind of stuff. Um, I'm on Twitch, which is just Ant Askew. I'm also on Twitter, which is Ant Askew, and uh, yeah, uh, YouTube as well, Ant Askew, because I'm gonna hopefully get something out there. Uh, soon. Oh, I'm I'm hyped for this next project. <laughs> Interesting. Good. Need to get it finished. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that should be my power. <laughs> Release it on time. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. That That's was... too powerful. That'd make you a god. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Marv, uh, where can people find you online? And do you have anything to plug? 
I uh, don't have anything particular to plug, I'm afraid. Um, we can find me online uh, on Twitter, at Marvin Lafayette. Um, I do try and post more and more, but it's not very often, so you're probably better off looking, looking me up on Instagram, and that's Marv, M-A-R-V, Lafayette, 84. Very good. And as always, you can find me uh, on Twitter, at Leon Everett. That's Ace Comicals, over and out. Hold on, hold on. Quick question. What was the 69 joke at the start? I didn't get it. <laughs> I don't get the reference. But You mentioned like episode 69 and you made a goof. What was a goof on? I'll tell you when you're older.